And I trust that's all of our prayer today, that every heart, every tongue would confess that Christ is Lord after the preaching of his word. That's always the hope and prayer for each time during this time of our worship service together. Uh, thanks for our music team. Michaela, thank you for sharing on what she went. But Oh, there she is. Um, and uh, just uh, reminded, even yesterday, we went a bunch of people to um, Sight and Sound Theater in Branson to see Esther and just reminded of God's working when even we don't see it. Um, we don't see it working. In fact, the word God is never mentioned in the book of Esther, but he's all over it. And it's all about Jesus, the whole book of Esther. If you've ever studied it, I encourage you to watch this. And just a great reminder of that, even as Kay was sharing today, sometimes when we can't see his hand, we've got to trust his heart. And I trust his heart and know that he's working in ways that I can't even imagine. Thankful for that. Uh, well, uh, welcome to all of you. And if you're new here uh, uh, with us this morning, my name is Brian McKenzie. I had the privilege to serve as one of the elders. And a couple times a month, get the privilege to preach as well. And we are glad that you are here um, with us. I want to thank you, Brian Herzog, <clears throat> for preaching last week on John 15, 16 and reminding us all that we are purpose-built and hand-picked. I love that. We are purpose-built and hand-picked, right there from John 15. He went to some other places, too, and, and we're appointed to go bear fruit by abiding in Jesus. What a great reminder, what great truth that we can never get over. Um, so, Brian, thank you for doing that for us last week, brother. Uh, super clear um, and challenging, but by God's grace, we can put it to practice. Well, this morning, we're continuing our series in the two letters of Timothy and uh, entitled Be Strong in Grace, and this morning, we'll be examining Second uh, Timothy, uh, chapter three, verses twelve and thirteen, in a message titled "You Can Count on It." You can count on it. So, please, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, uh, that this morning, I, and I hope you do, open it up to Second Timothy three, twelve through thirteen. And I, and I really want to encourage you: if you have a copy of God's Word, open it up, please. Um, whether it be electronic, whether it be paper, whatever, open it up. Uh, look there with me. Yes, I'll have it up here on the screen, but as I told you, and it's happened before, the screen may go out, and I want you to be Bereans, to examine and search the Scriptures daily to see if what I'm saying or anyone else is saying is true based upon God's Word. So with that said, let's move on to just, uh, before we examine our passage, just to, to, to review, review a little bit. We do this to always set us in context. We always make sure that when we're teaching God's Word, we're doing it in context. We're not pulling verses out of the middle of a paragraph or a, a chapter or a book and making it say what we want to. And that can happen really easily if we're not care careful. I think we understand that. That's why we do this review, because we want to make sure we're in context. It'd be like if I wrote a letter to my wife. We actually celebrated our 28th anniversary yesterday. And uh, that's... That's all grace right there that uh, uh, God gave me such a wonderful wife. I married her, obviously, when she was 10 years old. Um, and, uh, um, but, uh, you know, we, we, uh, if I would just take a letter that maybe she wrote me and took a sentence out of the middle of it and said, well, look at this. And if you don't know the context of the letter, it means nothing. In fact, it may mean exactly the opposite of what she meant. Uh, so we want to stay in context. So last time we were together in 2 Timothy, we, we just did the two verses before these two verses we're going to do today, just like we normally do. We're going to teach verse by verse, phrase by phrase through God's Word to make sure we stay in context. And, context. and Jay did verses 10 and 11. And, and Paul reminded Timothy in those verses how his life, Paul's life, was direct contrast to the false teachers 
who Timothy was encountering and Paul knew he was encountering. Uh, Timothy could see it in Paul's teaching that, that Paul was, um, that, that, his, that he was different than the false teachers through his teaching, through his conduct. It says his faith, his patience, his love, his perseverance. He saw in Paul's life, he had walked with Paul as his right-hand man, as, as someone Paul had poured his life into and seen Paul's life. And, and in a powerful and personal way, Timothy witnessed this faithful and godly man in, in, in a way, the way that he endured and handled persecution and suffering. And, and, and that's all over Paul's ministry, all over Paul's ministry. But he brought up a specific time that happened. And so Jay took us to that time uh, that, he, that happened in Acts 13 and 14 and showed us what happened to Paul when it came to persecution and suffering. Uh, he was preaching the, the, that preaching the gospel in Antioch, and, and many were coming to faith in Christ. God was using his word to change hearts to bring, bring people in a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And what happened, some of them were just, it was changed their life, and some of them weren't really happy what was going on. Some of the Jews were like, hey, we don't like this. So they ran Paul out of town. Uh, then they went to, to Iconium, Paul and his companions, and, and he preached the gospel there. And guess what happened? Many people responded and came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. But guess what else happened? Other people didn't like it. And they basically, they, they, had, they plotted they were going to stone Paul. And Paul and his companions heard about this, so, so they, they left there. They fled there, and they, and they fled to Lystra. And wouldn't you know it, in Lystra, they preached the gospel, and everybody believed. No, not really. They're the same pattern, just like it is always in Scripture. Some people did believe. And, so, and many powerful things were happening. And, and some of the Jews, listen to this, from the last two cities they were in, Antioch and Iconium, this group of Jews followed him to Lystra. I mean, they were, they were dead set on stopping Paul. So they stirred up all the people uh, there. In, in, and what happened is all the people got caught up in just this mob scene. If you've ever been in like a, you know, have, some people in, in, get caught up in this whole mob scene sometimes. And, and they attack something, they tear something up. And then somebody will ask them, hey, what were you all doing this for? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> I just got caught up into it. And I think some of that happened here. Just a big mob scene happened, and they stoned Paul. And they dragged him out of the city and left him there, supposing that he was dead. Some people think he was dead. Some translations, supposing he was dead. He, was, he, he looked dead, that's for sure. And, and, his, and his friends were standing around him, all right, and, and Paul's just laying there, and he's all stoned. And, and I can't imagine what they were thinking. Oh, my goodness, Paul's gone. He's dead. And this is my favorite part. Paul gets up. God revives him, rescues him out of that, revives him, and he walks right back in that city where they just stoned him to preach the gospel. I love that. I love that. But, but, but what happened here, um, uh, as Jay pointed out last, last time in verse 11, notice how it describes what happened with the following words, the Lord rescued me. The Lord rescued me. It wasn't because Paul was so tough. He was tough, but he wasn't because he was tough, but he got back up and went back. The Lord rescued me. Jay also pointed out that the Lord didn't rescue, didn't rescue Paul, listen, from suffering and persecution. Let me say that again. The Lord did not rescue Paul from suffering and persecution. He rescued him through it. And that's so important. And that's how he does it with us. He doesn't rescue us from, we don't get out of suffering and persecution. We, we, we get to go through it. But it's the Lord who sustains us. It's the Lord who rescues us through that persecution. 
Well, with that review, let's turn our attention to the passage of Scripture this morning. You'll see how it ties in easily. So if you would stand with me, and we're going to read our verses for this morning together. 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 13. Here we go. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, Lord, we trust you now to do just as we sang, that you would use your word, plant it within us, change us, make us more like Jesus, so that we would exalt his name. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, before we look at these two verses we just read together, think with me uh, this morning about the words, you can count on it. You ever heard words like that? You can count on it. Somebody ever said that to you? You can count on it. Maybe it's about your favorite sports team. Kansas City Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. You can count on it, all right? And uh, whatever it is, whatever your team is, you know what, I'm not a Kansas City Chiefs fan, I'm, um, but that's okay. Some people will say that. Um, what do you hear when people say, you can count on it? What comes to your mind? What, you can, what are they saying? Well, some may hear a promise, right? Somebody's making a promise or a guarantee. You can count on it, all right? Um, and... <laughs> It's going to be hot this week. You can count on it, right? Uh, maybe not as hot as it has been. But if someone says you can count on it, you're expecting what they said or what they say is going to come true. You're going to see it happen because they said you can count on it. We've had many presidents in our country here make many campaign promises, right? And they may not have said you can count on it, but they basically said you can count on it, Right? Tons of campaign promises. Actually, I looked this up this week. There's actually like something like, there was like a, a Obama meter, a, a Trump meter, all right? And, and how many campaign promises different presidents made and how, how, how much actually came true. And you can imagine most of them didn't come true. Some of them did, but most of them you really couldn't count on it because it didn't really happen. Um, and and uh, sometimes there, there are things that prevent us from keeping our promises. We can be as sincere as we want to be and with all our heart trying to keep a promise and something prevents us from keeping a promise. It's outside of our, 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 our control, but something happened and now I can't keep this promise. Right? Sometimes it's just excuses, but I'm talking there's real things that can happen. But thankfully, you know what? God's not like us. When he says you can count on it, you know what? You can count on it. When he makes a promise, he always comes through. Look what it says in, in one of many verses it says it's about God, but look at 2 Corinthians 1.20. For as many as, the promise, uh, as are the promises of God, in him they are, help me, what's it say? They are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. When God makes a promise, help me here, you can count on it. Every time. Every time when he makes a promise. He, he can always say with 100% certainty, you can count on it. You know why that? Well, it is because nothing can prevent him from keeping a promise. Nothing. People, things can prevent us from keeping a promise, but not with God. And, and, and we're going to see that in our passage this morning. Uh, God, we're going to see two, two promises. And I want you to see this. I did this so we could not miss this. You, can you all see that circled up there? Right? One says, see the words will. Will. Two times. Will. That's a promise. Will. That's a guarantee. That's a, you can count on this. And there's two of them in our passage today. Will. 
I was trying to see how this, this, this passage tied together, and the first thing that popped out was these are promises. These are two promises. These are two things that we can count on. So as we examine this passage of Scripture, we're going to see these two truths that you can count on. All right, here, here they are. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. You can count on it. All right, next, those who are evil and imposters will proceed from bad to worst. To worse, you can count on it. It's will, right? Not maybe, might. Someone says will. So, we're, and, and just to let you know, we're going to spend most of our time on the first point here, which is found in verse 12. And, and to be sure, this is not one of those passages that's a head scratcher. You know what I'm talking about? Man, I wonder what Paul's trying to say there. Man, that's like one of, that's really deep, isn't it? This is not, no, this is one of those passages of scripture that you know exactly what it says. We don't have to go, man, what, what, is, what are you trying to, is he beating around the bush? No, he's just straightforward, says this is what it is. Now, the difficult part about this passage is we may not like what we hear. It might be hard to stomach, might be hard to embrace, but these are truths that we can just say, yeah, that's pretty obvious. These two verses are pretty obvious. So let's now look at verse 12, all right? Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And these first words, these words here in 12, verse 12, we see the first truth we can count on. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I know my first point is the first verse. Like, you couldn't summarize that any better? No, I couldn't. That's the best I could do, all right? And, and you know why? I want us to remember exactly what it says, because we're going to see that every word in here is important. Every word in this verse is important. If not, we're going to misunderstand the verse. Now, again, it's easy to understand, but we have to look at every word and say, okay, what does that word mean? All right, what does it mean in context? All right, so every, I'm saying that those who desire to live God in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what it says, and that's what it means. All right, so let's look at it. Uh, look at the first word there, and, these, and many people have asked me this. Brian, what translation do you preach out of? All right, so just to remind some of you that are asked that, some of you will wonder, it's a New American Standard. Now, I do that because that's, I, I've used it for years. I'm just familiar with it. It doesn't mean it's better than your translation. Don't hear me ever saying that. we got a lot of great English translations, all right? Um, that's just what I use. So if you're wondering, your, your, ver, your version doesn't say indeed, that's why. But you know what? When I study, I've got eight versions up on my computer. I can see what you're reading too. So if there's a big discrepancy, I can say, okay, this is different. Here's why, all right? Some of your, your translations say in fact. Some translations say yes. And the verse actually starts with a phrase that begins with the, letter, with the word and. And, all of them. I mean, this is in, in, in the original Greek, it starts with the word and. And it's a phrase that we're trying to capture with one or two words in English. It's hard to do, but it's, it's, it's emphatic. It, let's put that, he, he's, he's making a connection to verse 11. And, or indeed, or in fact, it's tying back to verse 11. Um, it, it mean, it's connecting with what Paul said in verse 11. Here's what he said in verse 11. Persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Now in verse 12, Paul saying, indeed, or in fact, and, it's pointing back to this experience of persecution and, persecution and suffering that Paul had and makes it applicable to all Christians. All Christians. Just as Paul has experienced suffering and persecution, that's true for all Christians. Let me say that again. Just as Paul had experienced suffering and persecution, that is true for all Christians. Is that pretty clear? 
Okay, just making sure. Now, some might say, no, 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 hold on, brother. Uh, hold on. Paul didn't say all Christians will be persecuted. He said all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Exactly. All Christians will be persecuted. Okay, yeah, you get it. All right. All right. What do I mean by that? Those who desire to live God in Christ Jesus is not some kind of super subset of Christians. It is all Christians. Desiring to live God in Christ Jesus is true of all Christians. Those who have been born from above, given a new heart, and God the Holy Spirit living in them, desire to live godly lives. They want to live godly lives. I've never met anybody who has the Spirit of God in them, been born from above, been forgiven, given a new heart, that doesn't desire to live a godly life. And you won't find that in the New Testament. You won't find it true of God's people, that they don't desire, I'm being very careful with my words, you guys getting this? Desire or want to live a godly life. Desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus is a fruit of being born again. I love what one man says. He says, to live godly is a description of the condition that grace brings about in the life of the one saved by Christ. Let me say it again. To live godly is a description of the condition that grace brings about in the life of the one saved by Christ. All right, let's look at this, 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 this phrase a little more closely. Notice the word desire or want. It means to want strongly. It's actually in the present tense. It's a continuous desire, continuous, strong, passionate pursuit of something, or at least inwardly, right? Notice the words to, 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 to live godly. That means to be conformed, and we see this in, in, in Paul's um, first and second letter, even in, uh, to, to Timothy and also to Titus, this word godly. It's to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to live holy, to be set apart. It means to be, live godly. This desire to live godly is in contrast with verse 5. If you have your Bibles open, you can see this in verse 5. Who, those people who only have a form of godliness, theirs was only an outward display, not an inward reality. All right? And I also want you to notice something else about the phrase, all who desire to live godly. Notice what it does not say. Look there with me what it does not say. You can look on the screen, look in your Bible, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say all who live godly. Did you catch that? It doesn't say all who live godly. Instead, it says all who desire to live godly. It's not perfection that marks a Christian, but direction that marks a Christian. Let me say it again. It's not perfection that marks the life of a Christian. It's direction that marks the life of a Christian. A Christian, one who is marked by a life that desires to live godly and, his, and is making progress in godly living. Let me say that again. A Christian is marked by a desire to live godly and, it, and is making progress in godly living. They are those who are being conformed to the image of Jesus. Their lives are becoming more and more holy or set apart in their attitudes and actions. Do you see what I'm saying here? And what I'm not saying? All right? doesn't mean we all live godly all the time. That's not what it says, but all who desire. And if you look at the context here, he's, he's contrasting believers to non-believers. And he's using this phrase, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, as a synonym for Christians, people who have been born from above, been forgiven, been given a new spirit, a new heart, who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. That's what he's trying to say. 
So how is it that we can be conformed to the image of likeness of Jesus and live progressively more holy lives, live more godly lives? Notice the key phrase there in verse 12. Three words, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. This phrase is power-packed. We first have to ask, how do you initially get into Christ Jesus? How how do you get to be in Christ? Christ Jesus. How does that happen? This is how it happens. You hear this story that's all about the Bible. It's it's the the grand, what we call the meta-narrative, the big story of the Bible. You hear this, the the God of all the universes. He's all-powerful. He's holy. He's just. He's loving. He's all these wonderful attributes. He's infinite, right? He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. All these things about God. That's who he is. He created this universe, right? And here's what happened. He created man and woman. And man and woman, it didn't take them very long to decide they had a better idea than God. So, you know, God, your way's okay, but we got a better way. And he listened to the enemy who causes him to doubt the character of God, deny his word, add to his word, disobey his word, and they walk away from God and they sin. They, 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 this is what the Bible says about sin. All have sinned. Listen, this is really synonymous to sin. It means miss the mark. Are all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a synonym for sinning because it says in Isaiah that God created us for his glory. And when we sin, we do our own thing. We're about our glory. So the first man and woman who represent all of us, we do the same thing. All of us by our actions show for it this. We reject this wonderful God of the universe. Universes, all right, of all things. We reject his way, and we go our own way, and it separates us from him. And we make much of us instead of him. And that's not a good place to get be, because, yes, God is loving. He's loving like we couldn't believe. But he's also just, and therefore he has to punish sin. He has, sin has to be paid for. So here's what God did. Because he is loving, and he is just, perfectly came together in the person of his son, Jesus, who came to this world, lived a perfect life, and then he died on a cross in our place. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He died in our place to take on our sin and transfer his righteousness to us so we could be forgiven and be made right with God. What's that called? Isn't that good news? You know why? Because it's the gospel. That's what good news means, gospel. Isn't that good news that he did that? And then we have to respond to that. We have to turn from deceitfulness of sin and trusting ourselves and making much of us and turn and trust in what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection to pay for our sin, to bring us in a right relationship with God the Father. That's how we respond to that, and we embrace that by faith. It's all grace. He's given us that. We just embrace it by faith. Well, those who do that, they're made right with God. They're now, listen, in Christ Jesus. That's how you initially to come to be in Christ Jesus. So let me ask a question. Who is the gospel for? Non-Christians or Christians? Yes, again, who is the gospel for? Non-Christians or Christians? Don't, 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 don't answer me. You might incriminate yourself. All right? Who's the gospel for? Non-Christians or Christ, Christians? And the correct answer is yes. It's for both non-Christians and Christians. Now, I understand sometimes when people will say this, and I understand what's happening, but, but I, want, I hope we never say this here. 
Um, hopefully, what's being said when I'm going to say this isn't said in the same light it's said someplace else. But listen, I hear people say, man, that's all they talk about is the gospel. This, it's the gospel every single week. Well, praise God. What else is there than the gospel? And here's why we say that, because we think we've outgrown the gospel. That's why we say it. That's why, we, that's why I think it sometimes. I may not say it. That's why you think it sometimes. We think we've outgrown the gospel because we're in Christ Jesus. Listen, we'll never outgrow the gospel because we need the gospel every single day. We need to be reminded every day as we're walking through this life and struggling, as we're desiring to live godly, but we're, 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 it's, it's a struggle to live godly, but we're desiring it greatly in this life. Hey, we need the gospel right now to work through that because it's through his death, burials, resurrections and give me the power to make that next step. It's not Jesus saves me and then watch me work, Jesus. That's not how it works. If you think that, man, you're going to fall hard, and I've tried it. It doesn't work. And I've tried it over and over and over again, and I just keep knocking down, knock down, knock down. Because we need the gospel every single day. I love what Paul says. And am I getting a little excited about this? You bet, because it's important. All right, Galatians 2.20. Sometimes we, well, we got to get excited about things that are good. I guess that's why I get excited every single week. But um, look what it says in Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to look at the second half of that verse with me again. All right? He says, the life that I now live in the flesh, listen, I live by faith in, what's it say? The Son of God and something specific about the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith in the gospel message that God loved me so much he sent his son to die in my place. That's what he's saying. That's how I live my every day is by the gospel. Hey, we, I, I love this. Jerry Bridges just I reread this book right now called the, the Discipline of Grace. I recommend it highly to you, Dis, The Discipline of Grace by Derek, Jerry Bridges. He says this, we got to preach a gospel to ourselves every day, even as believers. Just keep reminding ourselves, we do this because of what he has done. And hey, maybe you had a bad day. Maybe it's a bad day as a Christian and you wake up and you're rushed and you, your alarm clock didn't go off and then you get, didn't get to spend time in the Word and prayer and, and, you, uh, and so you rush off in the day and you're short at work and it's just been a tough day and you have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody at work and you don't take that opportunity. I mean, it's just like God set it in front of you and just, you just neglect it. You walk away from that and you get to the end of the day and you're like, oh, man. Man, I, could God ever use me? I, God, he's probably really, really disappointed in me and just doesn't love me anymore. You ever been there? Had those thoughts? How about this on the other side? Man, you get up at like 4 o'clock in the morning. You read 17 chapters in the original Greek. You pray for everybody by name in the church and everything going on. You leave, and all you're listening to all day is Christian music. I mean, you're sharing the gospel with fire hydrants. You're sharing the gospel with animals. You walk in the convenience store. You're sharing the gospel with all those people. I mean, everything just goes right. Man, you, you come home, and you love your, your, your wife says, thank you so much for loving me like Christ loved the church. I mean, everything is going great. And here's what we think. Man, God really loves me. Hey, that's an exaggeration, but don't we do that? And here's what, both of, those, both of those situations don't understand. We've forgotten the grace of God. The, our bad day doesn't change the way God loves us and that we're his son or daughter and he will still use us. Our good days doesn't make God use us anymore because he really doesn't need us. We've forgotten grace. 
haven't we? We have to live by the gospel every day. This is like a whole other sermon. Uh, uh, but we, I, I thought, you know, I'm looking at this passage. We need to hear this because it's in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus that we have any hope. We don't put the gospel of grace through faith on the shelf when we come to saving faith in Jesus. We need it every single day. If it were based, listen, if it were based on our performance, it would no longer be grace, would it? What Paul says in Romans, he says, hey, if it's by works, it's no longer grace. Well, maybe you find yourself in one of those places today. Just remember, it's in Christ Jesus. So what is the promise for Christians, uh, meaning those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? What can we count on? What does it say in verse 2? We will be, let me go back to this. We will be, say it with me, persecuted. We will be, you can count on it. We'll be persecuted. As far as Jesus, you can count on persecution. Welcome to the family of God. If you've heard any different, you've heard wrong. And sadly to say, some people will entice people to come to saving faith in Jesus and say it's all, it's all great. Nothing ever goes wrong. Well, man, they must be reading their Bible. They disagree with Paul for sure. He even brings this up at the beginning of um, 2 Timothy 1.8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of, your, of the Lord or me or your prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And worse yet, they disagree with Jesus. Right? Look what it says in John 15, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the, the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Jesus said, Jesus said, if we're in him, if we're of him, if we're with him, we can count on exactly what he got, persecution and suffering. Then Peter makes it clear. In 1 Peter 4, 12, 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also to the re at the revelation of his glory to you, you may rejoice with exultation. The clear teaching, and I, and I had like, in my notes, I had like seven other passages of scripture. We didn't have time obviously for them all this morning. I, I could have gone to more than that. I cut all those out of my notes that went into what I bring up here. The clear teaching in God's word in the New Testament about persecution and suffering, being part of the Christian life, is normal. And listen, it flies in the face of the health and wealth prosperity preaching of our day. What do you do with those passages as you just think, hey, you know, trust Jesus and you'll be a millionaire. Pull up in Africa, and this happens because I've seen it pull up in Africa and your Hummer out to some little village and say, hey, give to my ministry and you'll be driving one of these days too, too soon. It just killing the gospel all over the world. And those who have been outside of, our, outside of our country see that happen. It flourishes. It flourishes in our country, which is amazing, but it does. It flourishes all over the world, this health and wealth, this, this, this name it, claim it kind of stuff. The health and wealth prosperity gospel of our day is an insult to Jesus and his gospel. Never forget that. This is not our best life now. The only way this is our best life now is we're going to hell. Let me say it again. The only way, if this is our best life now, 
If it all comes true like the health and wealth people say, this is our be- the only way that's true is that we're going to hell because heaven's going to be way better than this. It's not our best life now. It's going to be tough. There's going to be persecutions. There's going to be suffering. This is a hard message to preach, but it's exactly what Paul has to say. So we've got to look at it. The first truth that we can count on from our pastor this morning is those who desire to live guy lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, that comes in all shapes or sizes. And I've got to hustle up here. Um, just, just, just quickly, just being in other countries, Uganda, uh, the, whole, the whole Hummer thing, I know about that from being in Uganda. Uh, super sad. Um, and, and I also know things about Uganda where people came to saving faith in Christ and the Muslims came down and burnt, down their, burnt their village down. I've been in Russia and met men whose dads were pastors when it was under communism. One, one pastor friend of mine named Viktor Sipko um, in St. Petersburg, uh, Russia, his dad was taken out um, of their home when he was a kid three different times for having a worship service in their home and preaching the gospel in their home. And the third time he went to Siberia and he never came back. Persecution. Now you think, well, that doesn't happen here. No, but you know, persecution doesn't say that you only persecuted when they burn down your house and take away your father. That's persecution. But it's also persecution when you stand up for Jesus and the gospel and all of a sudden it gets tough at work. All of a sudden you lose friends and people quit inviting you to different parties or whatever it is, right, because you don't do those things and you don't think that way anymore and you've talked to them about what God has done for them in a cross. And all of a sudden the persecution is different. It doesn't mean it's not persecution. So we should never downplay when there's persecution. Now, I also think that persecution is going to continue to ramp up in our country. And for those who desire to live God, desire to live God lives in Christ Jesus, those who are followers of Christ, persecution is going to get harder, right? But with this, with this, this, this truth about there will be persecution, just like Paul in verse 11, the Lord will rescue us through it and for his glory and our good. And we know that, again, from Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and those who are called to, to, according to his purpose. We know that even in the persecution and suffering, he's making us more like Jesus. Amen? Isn't that good news? Well, now turn your attention to, to verse 13 here. Like I said, we're not going to spend near as much time on this one. It's, in these words, we find the, the second truth we can count on. Those who are evil and are impostors will proceed from bad to worse. Notice that word, first word, but. It means to, it's a contrast, all right? Contrast. They don't suffer persecution because they are part of this world. Uh, this world in rebellion to Jesus loves them, like we saw earlier in John 15, 19, which I read. It said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. All right? So they don't suffer persecution. There's a contrast. And notice that the next words, evil men, referring to these false teachers we've been looking at in the last few weeks. And we see also they're referred to as imposters, people who appear to be what they're not. That's an imposter. Uh, they're, they're liars who pass themselves off to be as godly teachers. And, and, and they do it just from an outward form, as we saw, of godliness, not an inward transformation. So what is the promise for those who are evil men and imposters, those who distort the truth? What can we count on? What can they count on? What is it? Look, look at the will with me. Will proceed from bad to worse. The first thing you can count on and we can count on is instead of being persecuted, they will continue to get worse. Their false teaching will continue to get worse. Their behavior will continue to get worse. And just like we saw in verse 9, their folly will be evident to all. They will be exposed for who they are. We, we, that's a guarantee. 
They can be count on being exposed, and we can too. Now notice what else we can count on, or they can count on, with the false teachers. Deceiving and being deceived, their deception comes back to bite them. They will be so committed to deceiving others, they will be deceived themselves. They will be convinced of their own lies and set themselves up, listen, to be deceived by the ultimate deceiver, Satan himself. They'll be so caught up into this deception, they'll begin to believe their own lies and then they begin even more deceived by the enemy himself. Notice what God says in Proverbs about these kinds of people. He who leads the upright astray in an evil way will himself fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. Listen, they will fall into their own pit. They will deceive and deceive themselves. And this, my friends, you can count on. You can count on it. It says will. And maybe you're like David who often struggle with perception that the evildoers are getting away with it. You ever have a problem with, I mean, look at these guys. They, don't need, they, they hate Jesus. They say they hate Jesus even. Or maybe it's a false teacher. And they look at their life, and they're just like living it up in this world, getting all the world has to offer. And it's like there's no discipline in their life. And you're like, man, what, God, I'm, I do desire to live godly. I'm trying my hardest just to honor you. Look at them, and we're, I'm just getting, look, it doesn't seem right. Anybody else felt that way? Be honest, yeah. David felt that way a number of times. Look at what David's advice is in Psalm 37, 1 through 3. Did I not get it up there? All right. I'll just give it to you since it's not up there. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. That's what he says. Don't fret because don't, 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 they're going to get theirs. I mean, that's God's business. That's God judging them. That's his business. You let him take care. Hey, what you need to do, don't worry about that. Just focus on trusting in the Lord and doing good. And I love this. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Let's follow David's advice and trust God. Well, what's the ultimate fate of these people? Well, we see that in Revelation. I got it, I got it out of order. That's why. 2015. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The second truth we can count on from our pastor this morning is those who are evil imposters will proceed from bad to worse. And that's as bad as it can get. That, that's their fate. It's will. We can, we, we can count on that. Well, so what? So, so what? what? What difference does all this make? What difference does it make that we know these truths? Uh, Here's what difference it makes. You can always count on it if God promised it, right? You can always count on it if God promised it, always. So here's what God promised in the good news of the gospel. If you understand your sin and separation from God and understand he loves you so much that he decided to send Jesus to die in your place to take care of your sin debt, and if you would turn from trusting yourself and trust in Jesus, listen, you can count on it. He will give you a new heart. He will forgive you. He will make you right with him. You can count on it if you repent and believe. And also we can count on the fact that know that persecution is part of the Christian walk. And that the Lord, listen, will deliver you through it for your good. 
and for his glory. I think about chapter 1 of James, one of my favorite books. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, our brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Now, that trial may just be a tough part of, of just life, but also maybe persecutions included in that too. When you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith, listen, produces endurance. And let that endurance have its perfect result. So you may be perfect and complete, lacking and nothing. Isn't that good news? That through the difficulty, whether it's persecution or just a trial, whether it's part of persecution, he's going to make you more like Jesus. He's going to make you complete and be used for his glory in his great plan. Good news, good news. Well, before we pray, I want to just remind you we'll have a couple over, the, over here and a couple of people over here. If you'd like to pray with somebody, maybe, maybe you're just, hey, I want, to know, I want to know how can I be in Christ Jesus. I want, I want to be in Christ Jesus. For the, just initially be in Christ Jesus. Or you're struggling. You're desiring to live a godly life, as all believers do desire, but it's just a struggle. You need somebody to pray with you. There'll be people down here to do that with you. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Lord, thank you so much for the fact that when you promise something, Lord, we can count on it. And sometimes the things we, you, we can count on that you've promised are hard. The fact that those who ch- choose to live God in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, that's, that's a hard thing. But, Lord, we, we know you've also promised that in that you're making us more like your son. You're doing it for our good and for your glory. We can trust you. We can trust you also with the ultimate judgment of all people. And that we don't have to get caught up into what evil people and imposters are doing or what they're not doing, Lord, that you'll, you'll ultimately take care of. We know they exist, but we know you'll, you'll take care of that. We, we thank you for being in control, being sovereign. Thank you that we're not in control. Lord, I pray you take these words, plant them deep within us, use them in our lives for your glory this week. Amen. Well, th- this week I, I, wanna, I want us to, to, to say this together, to remind us. What, what, what is it that we do when we go out of here? What are we called to do every time we walk out of this building together? And, and Jesus made it real clear in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Would you, would you say this with me? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You're dismissed.